Here's what's ahead of us today on Grow in Grace. It's all about receiving good things from God, so this should be an easy message to listen to. Uh, I encourage you to sit back and take it in. It's not really hard to grasp. It's not an intellectual effort, but it is difficult to understand why, why God would want to do that for you, for me. So just ask him to show you why he loves you. Something big like that. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sit be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Throughout the years, Christians have echoed those beautiful words penned by John Newton. Indeed, God's grace is amazing, and those who have tasted the forgiving grace of God can attest to that. But did you realize the grace of God extends way beyond justifying us? God wants to pour into our lives to help us to grow and be fruitful. Today on Grow in Grace, we focus on the marvelous grace of God that not only provides salvation, but teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Stay tuned for a helpful study on grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll be covering Titus chapter 2. Exhort bond servants or slaves to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special or peculiar people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Years ago, there was an American evangelist named D.L. Moody. Some of you know the name. He loved to do word studies on the various words in the Bible, the important ones. And one day he saw that he had not yet studied this word that we're looking at this morning, grace, G-R-A-C-E-D. So he set a day aside to study it, as he usually did. But by the time he reached the end of the day into the evening, he realized he hadn't exhausted what he needed to study about the Word. It appears more than 120 times in the Apostle Paul's letters. And so he set aside the next day to study the Word grace, and he worked his way through that day, and he realized that he still hadn't wrapped his mind around the concept. So he set a third day aside, and halfway through the third day, he was so excited about it, he couldn't contain himself, and he ran out into the street in front of his house, and he accosted a stranger, ran up to him and said, do you know Grace? And the man said, Grace who? <laughs> 
And he led that man to the Lord by explaining the concept we're looking at together. That's not really an unusual response. If you would ask that question today to most people on the street, I'm sure they'd say, Grace who? Oh yeah, I knew a girl in grade school named Grace, and we would think of the person who was named that rather than the biblical concept. But Scripture talks a lot about grace. From the Bible, it has everything to do with God. God is the cause, the first cause of grace coming to us, free, unmerited, undeserved favor from God, the creator of the universe, to us, his lowly creation. So, Scripture says that our Heavenly Father is the source of all grace, 1 Peter 5.10, and the God of all grace called you to His eternal glory in Christ. The God of all grace, Peter says, so all grace comes from God. So what is grace? Well, in the New Testament, it, of course, was written in Greek, the word is charis. And like our word grace, it has a, a secular meaning and a theological one. In the Old Testament, hanan is the Hebrew word for grace, and it also has a secular meaning something like graciousness, attractiveness, even the word charm is used sexually for grace in this Greek and Hebrew word. But when we theologically look at it, it refers to this undeserved favor, this kindness that comes from God to anyone who will receive it. Chuck Swindoll writing about it said, every time the thought of grace appears in the Scripture, there is the idea of it being undeserved. In no way is the recipient getting what he or she deserves. Favor is being extended simply out of the goodness of the heart of the giver, God Himself. Now, some people look at grace as something that's only for really big sinners. You know, the really rotten, wicked folks that we always think of when we're thinking how we're doing spiritually, you know, somebody, mass murder, Mussolini, Attila the Hun. But, in fact, the big sinner doesn't need grace any more than we, the big sinner, need grace. We all need grace. Every person in the world needs grace because every person in the world has failed to be everything God plans for us to be. Thinking about this this week, I was thinking about how tall something is or how big it is. And in New York City, the One World Trade Center is 1,776 feet tall. Tallest building in L.A. is this U.S. Bank Tower. It's 1,018 feet. So there's this big difference when we're standing here looking at the two, almost 800 feet difference between the two. So if we ask you from our perspective which one is taller, it's simple. But what if I said which one of them was closer to the constellation Orion? <laughs> and all of a sudden, 643 light years away, millions upon millions of miles away, the difference isn't very much. <laughs> In fact, it's non-existent from that perspective that far away. Grace is like that. 
God sees it as just spreading it to any person who recognizes their own need for favor from God. Who wouldn't recognize that? You'd be surprised. (laughs) Millions and millions of people, billions probably, it doesn't even cross their mind that there is a God who cares that actually will give us His favor in our life to oil the mechanisms of life so our life will go smoother when we surrender to Him. So, this section is about grace. Grace as a gift from God, but secondly, grace as a power that God gives to people who would receive it. A power from God that acts in our lives and makes good things happen in us and for us, one author said. Paul the Apostle talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We looked at a while back. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because of God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It wasn't wasted on me. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's in me. So he said, I can't even take credit for being motivated to serve God because it was God's grace that first invaded my life and then changed my heart so that I would want to do the things that I now want to do. So grace is an act of transforming obedience, enabling power from God to you and to me. So we're studying yet another very popular section of Scripture, this one of grace that has inspired many sermons, and you can find them all over the place. Grace in Three Time Zones was rather a famous sermon preached on these verses. Past, present, and future grace, the gift of grace now to us. Paul is pointing out that this grace moves in power from God in the past, salvation, Jesus dying on a cross, right now today, teaching us, and then in the future at his return that we'll look forward to that and by grace we'll receive him here in our lives. The gift of God gave in sending his son to die on the cross for us was pure grace and nothing else. How else could you explain it? Jesus was not responsible for any sin. He took on my sin and your sin. He didn't deserve to die. You and I deserve to die. We're the ones that offended God by breaking his commandments. We should have been the ones to be punished on a cross, but instead he gave us grace, pure grace. Grace has been defined as receiving something for nothing and received by those who don't deserve anything. (laughs) So we've received something for nothing just because God's heart is extended towards us, towards you, towards me here in this place right now. You have favor with God. It's here in this place. He's here in this place. All you and I must do is receive it. For those who receive His abounding grace, Romans 5, 17 says, we have to receive it. We're talking about the grace of God today on Grow in Grace as Pastor Ed Ray continues through Titus. Here he is with more from chapter 2. Young Titus, who received this letter, if you're just joining us, was a young pastor that Paul had trained, Paul the Apostle. He trained Timothy, the two letters in front of this one that we went through, First and Second Timothy. And now a second young man, Titus, and that's why these are called the pastoral 
epistles, the letters to young pastors. This young man, Paul had left on the island of Crete. We don't feel too sorry for Titus because it is an astoundingly beautiful place. I see some of you that were with us there a few weeks ago. It's a land of beaches and olive trees and beautiful mountains in the interior. It has churches on almost every corner in every little village, these tiny churches. There's one big one in the main city but it's a very Greek Orthodox island filled with churches. That goes all the way back to the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. You'll remember the story, 50 days after Jesus had ascended, then all the disciples were together, 120 of them in a room, in an upper room, and there was a mighty wind, and people from all over the city came to see what was going on. The sound was mighty. There were tongues of fire over their head, and they began to speak in other languages. Some of those people there were from the island of Crete, and after that event, they went back to the island of Crete and started churches there. Now it's 25 years later, and the Apostle Paul visited with Titus, and he found a lot of disunity, a lot of struggles going on. And as we saw last time, some people that were teaching outright false doctrines. And so he leaves Titus there, and he is encouraging him a few months later with this letter. So it breaks up into three parts, 9 through 11, by past grace, present grace, verse 12, and then 13 and 14, future grace. It's all about receiving good things from God. So this should be an easy message to listen to. I encourage you to sit back and take it in. It's not really hard to grasp. It's not an intellectual effort, but it is difficult to understand why, why God would want to do that for you, for me. So just ask him to show you why he loves you. Something big like that, verse 9. So we start with this uh, two verses about servants that we left off last time. Now, I believe Paul is combining these two with verse 11 because you and I are all called to be servants of God. Doulos is the Greek word. Of course, in that day, there were millions of slaves in the Roman Empire, captured military slaves and others. But you and I are called to be a slave to Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. So he said, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not to answer back. So obedience is the word hupotassos, and it means function, not worth. It's not talking about a person's worth. It's talking about how they choose to serve, to be subject to, literally it says voluntary attitude of placing oneself under another. You do that uh, all the time. If you're in a classroom, if you're talking to a police officer, you always get very polite. If you don't, you pay the price. But the idea is submitting to someone who has a function over yours, not a value greater than yours. Please them in all things when it can be done without sin, not answering back, uh, great word, anti-lego, A-N-T-I in the Greek language, and the little block, L-E-G-O. But uh, anti means just what we think it does. Lego is uh, not a block. It's to speak. And so not back-talking, not sarcastic back-talk. We are a witness. Verse 10, not pilfering, not stealing, taking and giving to someone else something that doesn't belong to us, but showing all good fidelity, faithfulness in service, 
to the boss, because anyone that's employed, this fits, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So here's the whole reason for this section in front of what we're really looking at, verse 11 this morning. So if you track with this last time, Paul dealt with five different groupings. Older men, younger men, older women, and younger women, and now slaves. And he makes a summary statement about all of it. Why would these five groups of people do these things as believers? That they may adorn, put on, the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The teaching, the reality of God as our Savior in all things. So we have an interesting word here. Uh, the word for adorn is cosmos. It's where we get our word cosmetics. And uh, the opposite word in the Greek language is chaos. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Um, But uh, for them, it was uh, cosmos or cosmetics, meaning everything in order, and it's uh, beautiful to behold. And uh, uh, chaos is what I look like in the morning when I step up the mirror. I'll put it back on myself, okay? Cosmetics embellish to make beautiful with ornamentation in the Greek language, but also uh, in ours. To heighten the attractiveness, in this case, to heighten the attractiveness of you wearing Jesus. What? You wearing, putting on the righteousness of Christ. Your life, God changing you so that when you do what he would like us to do, it makes you more attractive spiritually and other people want to know, what about that God factor in your life? We'll see this even stronger as we go through the next few verses. Verse 11, again, we're still working in past grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. One commentator said, this is the greatest verse on salvation in the Bible. I I would disagree most. I wouldn't say that it's the greatest one, but it is a wonderful statement about looking back. Begins with the word for. Uh, There's a reason that that's there. It's a conjunction that looks back at verse 10. This adornment, adorning ourselves in such a way that Jesus looks attractive to other people. For, to do this, he adds decorative details to our lives because the grace of God brings salvation. The grace of God brings it. He's talking about the character of grace. This five-letter word. God's riches at Christ's expense, the little acronym means, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It costs Jesus everything. There's no such thing as cheap grace. It's expensive grace, but God brings it, notice he brings it, to you and to me. It is not works, salvation, this salvation is a gift. It is not being good that brings salvation. It is not even going to church that brings salvation. It is not giving money that brings salvation. It's not reading your Bible. It's not praying that brings salvation. You might argue that it's praying that prayer of surrender that brings salvation when I surrender my life to Him. But God brings it to us. He sets it in front of us and says, would you like some? Would you like some this morning? More grace. 
Never miss an opportunity like this one right now to say, God, I need more grace. Grace, grace, grace on my life. Scripture clearly says that we cannot work our way to heaven, even though I heard that every Sunday growing up in the church I grew up in. We cannot earn salvation. Paul said so over and over again in Galatians, in verse 21 of chapter 2, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus died in vain. He's saying that if you could keep the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, nobody does, but if you could keep the Ten Commandments, you still would not be saved. The law has saved no one. I I don't know how to say that any clearer. You cannot earn your way into heaven by doing things. You have to accept His free gift. It's a setup by God. When we receive a gift, we have to surrender. Oh, no, don't give that to me. Of course, most of us go, yeah, give it at Christmas or birthdays or whatever. But God wants to give us this gift. If it was possible to be saved by law, by doing good works, then Christ's death on the cross was in vain. It was empty. It it didn't need to be done. Why would he bother to come and give his life in front of his whole creation? So then how are we saved? And this is the message, the grace of God that brings salvation. You don't go out and get it. It comes to you. It's coming to some of you right now here in this place. Stop trying to deserve salvation and receive it. That's Paul's good word here. It has appeared. Epiphany comes from this Greek word, epiphanal, to show forth, to display the saving grace that has been shown, displayed, manifested to the whole world is available for you. It doesn't mean every person is saved. It means God wants every person to be saved. That The cross was big enough, so broad, so powerful, that it absorbed potentially every sin on the planet. Salvation is the most sweeping, comprehensive spiritual concept. God Almighty performed a transaction so that the law could be upheld, but grace could be given. That the punishment deserved by others was taken by Jesus so that we might see the law, public justice being served, following this, and still receive eternity. Past grace, that happened. Now present grace, verse 12, teaching us. Grace is a teacher. Pedagos, the Greek word, is a teacher. It teaches us. Grace wants to teach us something. Paul says it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So it educates, it instructs us. Jesus was the grace of God. So this is talking about receiving Jesus. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, it says in John chapter 1, verse 16. The grace of God teaches us to say, no, don't flip on me here. This is not saying you just need to try harder. What this is saying is you must be saved for this to happen. It, the grace of God, when received, changes us from the inside. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace and one part of a study in Titus. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? 
Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Again, packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us for the next Grow in Grace as we continue through the Bible with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.